Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Kathy Herod. Today, I have Josiah Friedman and Riley Aker joining me. Josiah is the founder and CEO of Voices for the Voiceless, a national pro-life organization focused on creating a world where no one faces unexpected pregnancy alone. Josiah is the author of the first pro-life TED Talk, and under his leadership, the organization has launched key culture-shaping initiatives that address the root causes of abortion in our country. Riley is the development director at Voices for the Voiceless, where she spearheads strategic communications and key relationship-building efforts for the organization. Riley is also a rising national voice on building communities of support for mothers in a post-Roe America. On a personal and professional level, they are two leaders that I hold in high esteem and that I look to their input and wisdom on all things related to life. So thanks for joining me today, you two. Thanks, Kathy. So we're going to talk about why women seek abortions and how to reach them, where the abortion law stands, and what are some misconceptions. So Josiah, you're the one who taught me that abortion is a failure of community. So um, you use the tagline, too, about creating a world where every life is valued and no one faces that unplanned pregnancy alone. So share about that. What do you mean by abortion is a failure of community? So, Kathy, when I started my journey in the life movement as an advocate who was uh, brash and a truth teller and maybe ran over some things, I uh, started from a much different place than I am now. Um, And three years into my involvement in the movement, my mom sat me down on the couch and said she had a story to tell me that, that she swore she'd never tell me, but she just couldn't stand it anymore. and I needed to know. And it was this. It was when she was that same age. She was 19 years old. She grew up in a small town, White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Um, She found out she was pregnant. And when she found out, she knew only one thing, and that was her father could never find out about this. And so she went to Planned Parenthood, and they told her uh, about a way that she could go to a particular hospital and have a procedure, and no one would have to know. Um, And so she went there that day, and she had that procedure done, Um, and hoped it was over forever. But a couple days passed, and she began bleeding everywhere and had to be rushed back to the same hospital where her worried parents came to visit her during her overnight stay. She managed to conceal why she was there some way. Um, And two weeks later, Kathy, an insurance bill came in the mail describing her condition for for that night. Uh, She found it in the mail before her dad came home, and she, as a 19-year-old, marched down to the hospital and demanded to speak with someone, anyone, because they promised her that no one would find out. She told them everything that would happen to her family's reputation if anyone knew. And they covered it up. They sent her home with a different bill. And a couple decades later, her oldest son began pricking this scab, unbeknownst to him. And I sat across from my mother hearing this story for the first time, and it opened my eyes to one thing. And that is that abortion is so much more than the taking of an innocent human life. Abortion in our culture today has become a zero-sum game, a time where we tell women that they can either have the life they want or they have to give it up entirely for this child. In other words, only one of them can move forward and thrive into their future. And I heard my mom I heard her anguish and her regret and her sorrow at that time in her life, and I wanted that to be different. And I think that needs to be our message. And so we believe that abortion is a failure of community. The only way to patch it up and to end it would be to create a path for shared prosperity for mother and child in our world. And we are a long way off from that, but that's why we use that phrase. Well, and I think that's it just opens up a whole lot of... um, you know, ways to think. And of course, 
you know that um, I had a loved one who told me a similar story um, when I was 19 years old about my loved one had an abortion when she was 19 years old. And so those are the, you know, the, those personal experiences shape us. And, and I think sometimes in the pro-life movement, we don't, yeah, it's very true, we don't care enough about the woman and focus on what the woman is going through and what we're talking about. So in the pro-life movement here, we've got voices, we've got pregnancy resource centers, we've got CAP, so CAP may be the policy front, pregnancy centers are on the front line with brick-and-mortar stores or, or clinics, reaching women. So how, when you started Voices as a college student, how does that fit into um, like the niche market or the niche role that you play in the pro-life movement? Yeah, well, I think our role has changed over time and as our message has changed dramatically. Um, But I think as an organization, we've become drawn to one specific end and that's we want to address the root causes of abortion in the culture. And we realize that that spans a lot of different areas of our culture. There are a lot of reasons why women feel like abortion is their only choice because of a way that a system got built or because our culture doesn't acknowledge the worth and value of every human life. And we have to address all of those. So Voices for the Voices occupies a sort of a cultural niche in the movement where we're focused on addressing those root causes head on. Now that's looked like several things for our organization and Riley can shed some light as to why we're focused on the root causes specifically. Um, But it's looked like several things. It's meant that we go into, uh, we consider our domain to be the healthcare space and the online space. Anywhere where someone is facing extreme isolation and there would be a way to help. So Raleigh, root causes, define that. Yeah, I would say a lot of the root causes stem from this place of extreme isolation for women um, as they walk through unplanned pregnancy. We see this in a lot of areas. Uh, One of those areas is even in the workplace. Um, I can remember growing up and just hearing from other people, uh, not uh, very helpful people, but uh, just telling me that uh, if I was going to be successful in my life and have a a good career and uh, a long career that children were the opposite of what I should be pursuing. And that was really hopeless to me. I was someone that was like, I want to be married. I want to have children. Um, and so I've grown up hearing that. So we see this breakdown in community um, in the workplace. We also see it, like Josiah was saying, online um, and also in the healthcare community. We see this in churches. Um, the amount of women I've talked to who have walked through unplanned pregnancy who um, are who are believers that are going, okay, well, I have to have this baby bump and walk through church, and I'm worried what everyone's going to talk about and um, how I'm going to be perceived. And so um, I see this in a lot of ways, but um, like we're talking about, this this root cause is really everywhere. It's not just uh, in one place. It is everywhere in our society. Um, and those are just a few areas that I see it very, very clearly. You talk about being um, winsome advocates and first friends working to empower women to embrace the unexpected and go get the bright future that awaits them. How do we be a winsome advocate? What does that look like? Well, I think, one, I think it, it means meeting people where they are. I think having compassion is one of the most important things that you can do when you're working um, and advocating for these women. I think so much we've created this world where as they, you know, women, as they walk through this unplanned pregnancy experience, um, they've really been pit against their child. We have one side of this movement that is we are pro-baby and the other side that is pro-women. And, and while I think those are wrong representations of both sides of the, the field, 
I do think that there is some truth to that. And so I think there's a lot of women um, that feel like they've been left out. They feel like they're not being heard. Um, and so I think really step one is having compassion for their journey. Um, considering abortion is not this crazy, terrible thing. It comes from a place of fear. Um, and I think we need to meet fear with love. I've often said that you know, the pro-life movement for the first half, maybe history, didn't care enough about the woman. And I've said, you know, if we don't care as much about the woman walking into an abortion clinic as we do about her unborn child, we might as well pack it up and go home. Right. And that we have to we have to love them both. We have to care about them both. And most people know someone who was hurt by an abortion, but it wasn't the right or it just caused more problems for the woman. Well, you two are doing some, of I think, the most innovative pro-life work in the country. So, Cher, how are you building communities of support for women? How are you reaching women? So there's a couple ways we do this, Kathy, and some of them are direct and some of them are indirect. Uh, most, of, most of our work tends to be going into the most hostile places um, in our culture for the cause of life and for these women uh, and trying to build community there. And I'll give you a couple of examples of, of where we think this needs to get built. The first place um, is in medical education. So uh, there's a reason for that. Today, one of the most deadly phrases that can be said to a woman who is pregnant is your child's going to be born with Down syndrome or insert any range of condition that's prenatally diagnosable um, so far in the United States. And by the way, the number of conditions that can be prenatally diagnosed is expanding dramatically and will continue to expand dramatically in our world. That is a key reason after, hear, after hearing that news and hearing the progression of how it's typically communicated by a physician. I'm so sorry your child's going to be born with this condition. Here are the things they'll probably struggle with in life. Here's how many days you have left to decide what you're going to do. That puts you in such a position of isolation. You may have planned the pregnancy, but in an instant, you think to yourself, no one in their right mind would move forward with this. We've got to change how that happens. And so our organization is championing uh, the effort to train the next generation of physicians to communicate that news with accuracy, sensitivity, and hope. And that's just one area, Kathy. There's a couple others too. I, I'd say after the Dobbs decision, one of the key places that we saw isolation be created in the world uh, was on the internet. All of a sudden, as soon as the FDA changed the rules, there were online companies that began to sell the abortion pill and mail the pill to people's homes. And as soon as that happened, it created a scenario where no longer did you need to get an ultrasound, no longer did you need to go anywhere, go anywhere or talk to anyone. You didn't even have to go to Planned Parenthood to get an abortion. You could just have one in your bedroom without anyone knowing. And that experience is perhaps more isolating than any experience we've ever seen. Our organization has taken a strategic approach to try to address that and try to create resources and strategic support online so that no one has to face that alone. And they can walk and find support for themselves and find a way that they could look into their future and see a path to success and prosperity. I think it's hard to imagine that how a woman can go online and order abortion pills to be delivered to her house in a brown envelope and have no knowledge about how far along she is in her pregnancy, what the consequences could be, all of that. Um, so are you, do you feel like you're reaching women, that you're able to reach women through um, different means like Internet technology and that kind of thing to provide them with alternatives? 
So, I mean, we are reaching thousands of people um, this year. There will be hundreds of thousands of people that are reached in, the, in their sort of critical moments of struggle and isolation. And I don't think that's because we're brilliant. I think that's because the need has literally exploded on the Internet for the kinds of support we're talking about. Um, you, hit it, you hit the nail on the head. I think this is the, the next frontier in this movement. Can we provide support to the most isolated people on earth who do not see a way out? Um, if you talk about this issue from in spiritual terms for a minute, there is a reality where I think most people miss what abortion is and what, what God thinks of abortion. And that abortion, like I said, it's not the taking of innocent human life. I, I do not think would be the full picture that God has. I, I feel like it's Satan getting in between the most precious relationship that God created between mother and child and saying, there is no way for both of you to move forward. Only one of you can pass into the future in a good way. And that's a lie. It's going to take a lot of work to build a society where that lie is not believed anymore, where there really is a way that she can thrive on that journey. But we need to build it with great urgency. Riley, what do you see as far as what are the options for a woman who's um, in that situation? She's isolated. She doesn't know what to do. Um, how can she reach out and get services or get support or resources to um, not have an abortion? Well, I think there's a lot of options. Um, like we've talked about, there are online resources that we are providing. Um, we are helping women navigate that question of what do I do now? Um, we've realized that for a lot of women, there's really two options, and it's either they, you know, we can reach them and provide them resources and do what we can, but they're still going to choose abortion. And if that's the case, we will not stop helping them. We continue to love them. We continue to walk with them on that journey because the journey of recovering from that abortion experience is a long one, and we want to make sure that it is uh, a journey that ends with complete healing. So. That's one option. And then the other is we can help them choose parenthood. We can help walk with them. And so um, there's a lot of that online that we are providing. Um, and I, I will also say there there is that in-person help, too, that we see from our friends at pregnancy centers um, and whatnot. And there's still a need for that. Um, I think it's important to say that despite uh, what we say about, like, everyone's going online and looking for abortion pills and there needs to be someone there because there are thousands of people going there it is in complementary with these pregnancy centers that are our friends. And so we're working together to kind of reach this mass group of women that are just looking for hope. Well, and of course at CAP, we work to try to have the strongest pro-life laws possible, but there's not a law that we can pass that stops chemical abortion pills from being sent from India through the mail to a woman in Arizona are being sent from a pro-abortion state. And so that's why this work is so critical, that we've got to reach the woman before she gets those, those pills. Well, as we are sharing today, we know that we're waiting for the Arizona Supreme Court to decide whether they will uh, allow the pre-roll law to go back into effect in Arizona. That's the law, of course, that would say that abortion is not legal unless necessary to save the life of the mother. So if, you know, we don't know, it could be months before we know that decision, but if, if the Arizona Supreme Court says that abortion's not legal in Arizona, what, what's going to happen in the short term, or what do you see when you talk about compassion, what do pro-lifers need to be thinking right now as far as how we respond in that moment and the moments after? That's a really good question, and I think as we've thought through this, Kathy, I, I worry that the answer sounds ambitious. 
but I want to say the answer is necessary. We have to create a space in Arizona where Arizona is the best state in the country to have a baby. That is the next frontier that we need to fight for. And that means we need to fight to change the culture in our workplaces. So if you own a business or you're influential in a business, you need to change that culture so that it is supportive of every person that works there that might get pregnant unexpectedly. They need to have their jobs when they come back. They need to receive support from their business. There's that. That means changing the culture in our educational institutions and making sure people have support. That means changing the culture, like we've talked about, in medical education in our state and the healthcare approach to dealing with the prenatal diagnosis. That means changing the way that our churches talk about this issue so that they are places that are beacons of hope and light for people who are walking through this today, and they are places of restoration for people who walked through it yesterday. That is what we're going to have to build. It is going to take all of us to build a world where no one in Arizona faces unexpected pregnancy alone. And it is going to take all of us to build a world where Arizona is the best place to have a baby you can imagine. Well said. Well, what, what are we not um, sharing that? What are we missing? Or what, what else in this conversation do people need to understand? We've talked about the need for compassion, isolation. But what else does that pro-life advocate, where do you think pro-life advocates are missing Anything else as far as where they're missing the beat as far as what we need to understand about women and abortion or how men play into it? That's a great question. And Riley, you can add on to this. But I I think that what people miss is we don't have a great handle on who's actually getting abortions, who feels like abortion is their only choice in our country. Um, The person who's facing unexpected pregnancy in Arizona and getting abortion is more often than not not below the poverty line. In other words, finances is not the key driver for them. It is, of course, a driver for everyone. And I can attest as a new father that it costs an absolute fortune to have a child, and that's (laughs) not good. But um, that's not the main driver for them. The, The person who's facing unexpected pregnancy and having an abortion in our state is also older. We're not talking about teenage girls struggling through this decision nearly as much as now we're talking about women who are already mothers. They already have one or two children. They're in their late 20s or early 30s, and they're trying to figure out how they could bring on this new life and still love everyone entrusted in their care. In other words, the reasons why women are getting abortions in our state are changing. And being able to reach those women, I think, requires that we form compassion in our hearts for them and then set a chart, a path for them for success where they could actually receive support. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think um, for a long time, the movement has just thought of this woman in a very different way than the actual reality is today. Uh, which is like you were talking about, they are incredibly educated. They have a lot of money. The picture of who should be a parent, a lot of these women are exactly what we would say, they make a good mom. And still, these are the women that are coming to us looking for help making this decision because it's not the right time. Maybe they're being pressured by a significant other to not continue the pregnancy. Um, It's this whole array of different Uh, reasons for why women are seeking out abortion. And as we talk about, it has a lot to do with their community. And not assuming that it's just a woman being selfish. Yes, It's that a woman doesn't know what else to do. Exactly. And that's what we see over and over. Well, as we close out this segment, um, share your website so people know how how do people find Voices for the Voiceless in YouTube? Yeah, VoicesForTheVoiceless.org. Come visit us there. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much, um, Riley and Josiah, for being on Engage Arizona. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for listening to Engage Arizona. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast platform. Don't forget to share with family and friends. And if you would like to learn more, please visit our website at azpolicy.org.